And just to review what we covered last time, Satchika was a very famous sophist or disputant who would go around to different famous philosophers and religious teachers and he was very skillful in argumentation. He learned many different techniques of what's called techniques of rhetoric, of skillful argumentation and he would come approach a philosopher very humbly and deferentially asking what is your teaching then gradually he would take up the position of the philosopher and then overthrow it in debate. Then he learned when he was living at Vaisali, he learned about the recluse Gotama, the Buddha. And he decided that since Gotama was such a famous teacher that he wanted to engage him in debate and he even boasted that if he were to meet the Buddha in debate he would make him shake, shiver, tremble and sweat under the armpits. Then one day he met the Buddha's disciple, the Bhikkhu Asaji and asked Asaji about the Buddha's teaching and Asaji gave him a statement and then Satchika said that if I were to meet the recluse Gotama, then I would argue that statement down, I would just reduce it to splinters. And then this boast of Satchika gradually reaches the people of Vaisali and they arrange for Satchika to come to meet the Buddha and engage in the debate with him. Then Satchika comes to the Buddha and asks him, he approaches very humbly and says, I would like to question Master Gotama about a particular point if you will be so kind as to give me an answer to my question. Then the Buddha says, ask whatever you want to. Then Satchika asked the same question, what is your teaching? And the Buddha says, he repeats the statement of Asaji, that I teach that all the five aggregates are impermanent and all the five aggregates are anatta, not self. Then Satchika says that I have a simile and he presents the simile he says that just as when seeds and plants grow they all do so in dependence on the earth based upon the earth and just as whatever activities take place take place in dependence upon the earth based upon the earth, so too, so, okay, so too, a person has material form as self and based upon material form 
he does meritorious and demeritorious activities. The person has feeling as self, perception as self, formations as self, and consciousness as self. And based upon consciousness, he performs meritorious and demeritorious activities. So then the Buddha then says, aren't you asserting that material form is myself, feeling is myself, perception is myself, the mental formations are myself, consciousness is myself. And Satchika admits this and says, I say that, form is self, feeling is self, and so on. <laughs> and then, then he tries to support his position by appealing to the crowd around him. <laughs> he says, I say this, and so too does this great multitude of people. In other words, he thinks that we take a majority, a majority vote, and since all the common people believe that their mind and body are their self, whereas the Buddha says they're not self, and the Buddha is one, and the whole, maybe with his monks, maybe a few, a dozen monks or so, and there's maybe a few hundred people around. So he says, therefore, I'll, I'll win the debate. But the Buddha trips him up and says, what does this great multitude have to do with it, uh, Satchika? You just confine yourself to your own assertion. And so Satchika then has the courage to take the stand on his own position and says, that is so, feel it, uh, form is myself, feeling is myself, and so on. Then the Buddha is going to ask him a question which will undermine his position from within. He says, here we're in paragraph 12, in that case, Agivesana or Satchika, I will ask you a question in return and answer as you choose fit. What do you think, Agivesana? Would a king, a head-anointed noble king, be able to exercise the power in his own realm to execute those who should be executed, to find those who should be fined, and to banish those who should be banished. And Satchika says, of course, any king can do this. That is, the king is the absolute, at least in those days, <laughs> the king was the absolute master in his own realm, and he could do with anybody whatever he wanted. In other words, in his own realm, the king exercised absolute power. And now the Buddha asks a question which will pull the rug away from Satchika's statement <coughs> about the self. He says, when you say material form is myself, do you exercise any such power over that material form so that you can say 
let my form be thus, let my form not be thus. And Satchika saw the point that the Buddha was trying to make and he realized that his position would be undermined. And so he didn't want to confess that this was the case and so he just remained silent. Then the Buddha asked him the question a second time and Satchika remains silent. And the Buddha asked the question the third time and again Satchika is silent. And now the Buddha says, he makes a statement that might seem a little frightening. He says, you'd better answer now, Agivesana. <laughs> this is not the time to be silent. For if anyone is asked a Dhammika Panha, that's a question which is legitimate by way of the Dhamma, up to the third time by a Samasambuddha, and he still doesn't answer, then his, hit, his head will split into seven parts right there and then. And then, as I explained last time, we shouldn't think that the Buddha is threatening him and saying that, I am going to do this to you. But this seems to be a fixed principle of the universe. And, well, the, the fortunate thing is that whenever this situation comes to pass, it, it's mentioned in a few suttas, then the Buddha gives his opponent a warning that such and such is about to happen and there's no recorded case where the opponent has ever stood his ground and had to have his head split into seven pieces. But always when the Buddha gives this warning, then his opponent is aware that there is danger and answers. And what, when this happens, when an opponent is refusing to answer up to the third time, then Saka, the king of the gods, comes onto the scene wielding a thunderbolt. He's referred to here as a thunderbolt-wielding spirit. According to the commentary, this is Saka Devaraja. And he stands there with the thunderbolt behind the disputant, in this case Sachika, ready to release it if he refuses to answer. <coughs> and so when Sachika saw this thunderbolt-wielding spirit holding the thunderbolt which was burning, blazing and glowing, then he became frightened <laughs> and realized that this was not the time to be silent. And so then Satchika became frightened, alarmed and terrified and seeking his asylum, shelter and refuge in the Blessed One he said, ask me the question and I will answer. Then the Buddha said, again he repeats the question, what do you think, Agivesana, when you say material form is myself, do you exercise any such power over that material form 
so that you can say, let my form be thus, let my form not be thus. And Satchika sees the point and says, no Master Gotama. Then the Buddha is now going to point out the contradiction and he says, pay attention, Agivesana. Pay attention how you reply. What you said before does not agree with what you said afterwards, nor does what you said afterwards agree with what you said before. Okay, now I want to just explain a little what is the point of the argument that's taking place here. The idea of self, of Atman or Atta, implies the idea of mastery, of being in control, so that if something is really oneself or really belongs to oneself, then one should be able to exercise perfect control over that thing that one is taking to be self. So if the body or form is really self, really what I am in essence, then I should be able to exercise perfect mastery over this body so that the body will follow my will, whatever I want of it. If I want this body to become very handsome, <laughs> I would just have to exert the will and I would become very handsome. <laughs> If I want always to remain young, then I would just have to exert my will and I would never grow old. I mean, the years would go by, but I would always remain a young man of 30 years old. If the body was truly myself, then I would just have to exercise a thought May I never fall sick, and I would never fall sick. I would always be healthy. And if the body was truly myself, then I would be able to determine, let me never die, and I will be able to live forever. If I don't live forever, then I can just determine well then, let me live till I'm a hundred and twenty years old. Then I'll live for a hundred twenty years, always as though I were the body of a thirty-year-old person, never falling sick. Then I would just die, if I wanted to. <clears throat> and so, <coughs> so the point. <coughs> The point that underlies this argument here is that both the Buddha and Satchika are admit 
that the idea of self implies the idea of absolute control, mastery. So that if anything is identified as self, what is really myself, what I really am, what I can say is truly mine, then in the same way that the king exercises sovereignty in his kingdom so that he can do anything with anybody he wants in the kingdom, then I should be able to exercise this absolute control, this perfect mastery over what I take to be myself, what I truly am. But when we examine the body, first of all, form, material form, we find that we don't have such control. Though I want to be forever 30 years old but and never to age, but as the years go by, the hair turns gray, teeth start to decay, skin becomes wrinkled, strength diminishes, and I might be thinking, let me be strong and youthful, but gradually reaches a point. If I want to put my foot in one place, then the foot winds up in another place. What is that? Even though I want to be always healthy, but I fall sick. Even though I might want to live forever, but have to die, the body has to die. And so because we lack that control, that mastery over the body, then the body or form is not self. Okay, so Satchika has seen the point and he has to admit when the Buddha asks him, do you exercise any such power over that body or physical form so that you can say, let my form be thus, let my form not be thus, Satchika has to say, no, Master Gautama. Then the Buddha is pointing out this contradiction before what he said earlier before, he said, material form is myself. Now he hasn't yet said, he hasn't explicitly agreed with the Buddha by saying, material form is not myself. But he's admitted that I don't exercise that absolute mastery over material form. So he's in effect, even though he hasn't said this openly, but in effect he's admitted that the form or body is not self. So he's come around to accept the Buddha's position, though he won't yet admit that openly, but he just has to admit this rather shame, with a shame, shame, shamefacedly.
Okay. <clears throat> now the Buddha presses the question a little further. He might retreat and say, okay, material form is not myself. But earlier he had said form, feeling, perception, mental formations and consciousness, all of them, he said, are myself. <clears throat> so now the Buddha, excuse me, now the Buddha presses the question further, asking him about feeling. When you say thus, feeling is myself, do you exercise any such power over that feeling so that you could say, let my feeling be thus, let my feeling not be thus? And he says, no, Master Gautama. Okay, if feeling were myself, then I would be able to exercise such perfect control over feeling that I would be able to have any kind of feeling that I want. If I want to have only pleasant feeling, I would just have to determine, let my feelings always be pleasant, always happy feeling. Let my feelings never become painful, disagreeable, sad feelings. And yet, if we examine our feelings, we see that our feelings change quite independent of our control. Sometimes there are pleasant feelings, sometimes painful feelings. I want pleasant feeling, but I get painful feeling. I want things to work out a certain way, they don't work out the way I want, and I'm disappointed, painful feeling. So developing the mind, then we can exercise a certain amount of control over feelings so that if circumstances don't work out in the way I expect, then I don't get very upset, but I can accept the situation with equanimity. But still, we don't have that absolute control so that we can feel any kind of feeling that we want. Even somebody like the Buddha or an Arahant even though he won't have any feelings of sadness, sorrow, disappointment, but he's still subject to painful feeling through the body. In the case of somebody even like Mahamogalana, who is attacked by murderers and just his body was terribly mutilated and murdered. He had to undergo very painful feelings and didn't have the power to say, let these feelings not occur. Okay, so we don't have such mastery over feelings. And now Satchika admits that and says, no, Master Gautama. 
then the Buddha again points out that contradiction. He says, pay attention, Satchika, pay attention. What you said before does not agree with what you said afterwards, and what you said afterwards does not agree with what you said before. Okay, so now Satchika has implicitly admitted that feeling is not self. But he might try to retreat into perception. And so now the Buddha is going to cut him down on that position. And he says, when you say that perception is myself, do you exercise any such power over that perception so that you can say, let my perception be thus, let my perception not be thus. And he says, no, Master Gautama. So the principle is the same. If I were, if perception were myself, then I would be able to determine, let me perceive only very beautiful and wonderful things. Let me never perceive anything that's ugly, disagreeable, disheartening. I'd be able to open the newspaper and I would see peace on the front page, peace achieved in Sri Lanka. I turn to the foreign news page, all problems ironed out between the Israelis and the Palestinians. <laughs> I see Serbs and Croats and Bosnians embrace <laughs> and agree on a to live happily and peacefully together. Um, I see unemployment level drops to zero percent throughout the world. Um, the Irish Republican Army accepts John Major's terms for a peaceful settlement. So <coughs> everything that I would see would be wonderful. If we go driving through Candy, we never see any traffic blockages. <laughs> Okay, so if I have control over perception, if perception is myself, then I should have such control over perception that everything I perceive is exactly as I want it to be. And I never have any disturbing, painful, disagreeable perception. But do we have such control over perception? No. Okay, so Sachika has to admit again that perception is not self. Now we come to the mental formation. If the mental formations are myself, then this would mean that 
I can think any kind of thoughts that I want to think. I can have any desires that I want to have. Any kind of mental states that I want to have. Immediately I just have to make a determination and I would have them. If I decide I want to be finished with loba, dosa, and moha, then as soon as I make that decision, I'll never have any disturbance by greed, never get angry, never be confused about anything. I could think, may I always be generous, loving, wise. And as soon as I make that decision, then immediately my mind would follow. I'd always be very generous, always very kind, always very wise. But in fact, since we don't have that absolute control over the mind, over the mental functions, therefore the mental functions or mental formations are not self. And then we come to consciousness, vijnana. If consciousness were self, then I would have such power over consciousness that I could think or say, let my consciousness be thus, let my consciousness not be thus. Let me always have a virtuous state of consciousness, never an, an unwholesome state of consciousness. Let me all. Let me always be conscious of good things, never conscious of bad things. But since we don't have such control over consciousness, therefore consciousness is not self. What do you think, Agivesana? Is form permanent or impermanent? It's impermanent. Is what is impermanent painful or pleasant? It's painful. Is what is impermanent painful and subject to change fit to be regarded thus? This is mine. This I am. This is myself. And he says, no, Master Gotama. And the same argument is repeated with regard to the other four aggregates. So now the Buddha has caught Satchika in two ways. First, he's used this idea of control or mastery as a way to knock down the identification with self of the five aggregates as self. Then he uses the usual, his common argument what is impermanent and suffering, subject to change, that is not self, not mine, not I, not myself. So through both of these arguments, Satchika has had to admit 
that the five aggregates are not self. Okay, so now we come to paragraph 21. Now, Satchika has admitted that the five aggregates, that we don't exercise any such power over the five aggregates so that we have can absolutely control them. And because of this, it turns out that if we really reflect what the, the implication of this is, what the meaning of this is, it means that these five aggregates are dukkha. They're suffering. Because we cannot control them exactly the way we want them to be. We always want them to be splendid, beautiful, and wonderful, but they don't conform to our will. And the body grows old and decays and dies. We get painful feelings. Sometimes the pain can be so terrible that we have to scream or cry. The perceptions we see, what is ugly, disappointing, disagreeable, the mental processes sometimes get so troubled and disturbed that we think we're, we're just overwhelmed and afflicted with misery. And the consciousness sometimes becomes so weighed down with sorrow and misery that not all the time, but this does happen. And so these five aggregates that Satchika was saying, this is myself, this is what I am. When one looks at them, honestly and truthfully, one sees that what we are holding to and saying, this is mine, this I am, this is myself, these five aggregates are just dukkha, suffering. And so the Buddha says, when the Buddha says, in effect, he says, what you have been doing all this time, Satchika, is adhering to suffering, resorting to suffering cleaving to suffering, to the dukkha of these five aggregates. And you're saying that these five aggregates of suffering, this is my mine, this is what I am, this is myself. In such a case, Satchika, could you ever fully understood suffering can you ever fully understand suffering yourself or can you utterly destroy suffering? If one is going to just cling to these five aggregates and say, this is myself, 
then because of that clinging and that delusion, then one can never understand the real meaning of dukkha and get liberated from dukkha. And so Satchika admits that this is impossible. It cannot be done, Master Gautama. And then the Buddha now drives the question, just really shows up his foolishness. He says, what do you think now, Satchika? This being so, haven't you been adhering to suffering, resorting to suffering, cleaving to suffering, and regarding what is really suffering thus, this is mine, this I am, this is myself. And now Satchika has to admit that he has been un- completely undermined. So I guess he must be red in the face now and afraid to look up at all of the people in the town that he had boasted to, and he says, How could it not be so, Master Gotama? Yes, Master Gotama. Then the Buddha gives a simile to show the situation of Satchika. He said, It's as if there was a man who went into the forest searching for heartwood, for solid, hard wood from which he could make some solid object like a table or a chair or a door. And he were to see a banana tree growing. And he would cut it down, the banana tree, and cut off the crown and start unrolling the sheets, looking for solid hot wood inside. As he went on, he would just roll off one sheet after another and he would come away empty-handed. He could never find any solid heartwood inside the trunk of a banana tree. And so the Buddha says that when you have been pressed, questioned, and cross-questioned by me, about your own claim that form is myself, feeling is myself, and so on. Now you turn out to be empty and hollow and mistaken. Then the Buddha is now going to ask him a very embarrassing question, or to, to put him in a very embarrassing position. He says, Wasn't it you, weren't you the one who was boasting to the assembly of the people of Vesali that I see no monk or Brahmin, even one who's a famous teacher of a group, who would, even one who claims to be a fully enlightened Buddha, who would not shake, shiver and tremble and sweat under the armpits 
if he were to engage in debate with me. And weren't you the one who was saying that if I were to engage in debate even with a post, an inanimate post, I would make it shake, shiver and tremble and sweat. What not to speak of a human being. And then the Buddha points out to Sachika. <laughs> now Sachika, he says, there are beads of sweat on your own forehead and look at your robe. <laughs> your robe has been soaked with sweat and it's fallen to the ground. <laughs> and the Buddha says, but there is no sweat on my body now. Then the Buddha opens his robe and shows his chest and maybe his armpits to the assembly and shows that there is absolutely no sweat on his body. And now Sachika, the son of the Jains, sits there silently dismayed with his shoulders drooping, his head down, glum and unable to say anything in reply, just utterly ashamed and embarrassed. Maybe I'll stop at this point here. If there are any questions, then... Was this whole presentation clear about the meaning of self and not self? Okay, then we will continue next Thursday. I have one question. <coughs> we as Buddhists need to tolerate that Sakka coming with that thunderbolt. Yeah. In Buddhism, you see that you have the right to give and disagree and believe. Yeah. It looks very un-Buddhistic, not for yeah. us, but yeah. the students yeah. of Buddhism. Yeah. What is the meaning of this when he's having a debate? He says your head will split in seven and then comes this man in the bowl. It's just We have been discussing this for a long time. Myself and Brother Soma and Kevin, they yeah. discussing. Yeah. But I don't know how you will answer others. It looks very unbuddhist. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing, I know it has come in a pet team with the sutta from somewhere. When you think about the Buddha's way of explaining things, very clear worded expression of the Bhagavatam, he was underboard it looks odd <laughs> for my point. <laughs> the thing is that it, it always happens, I think, in the case of disputants who are trying to first to in some way outdo the Buddha or to humiliate the Buddha, then when the Buddha puts them into a situation where they have to admit that their position is wrong, then 
Well, they're asked the question three times by the Buddha. They have the right to, to answer. And, but if they're going to challenge a Buddha, then they have to be prepared to, to answer the Buddha if the Buddha challenges them. In this case, no one regards the Buddha. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.